0: Sinister Myth, How Stories We Tell Perpetuate Violence. This podcast challenges cultural mythologies about sexuality in the West because so often they encourage, perpetuate, or foster violences against women and minorities. It is supported by an Ohio State Affordable Learning Exchange grant and is created by Zoe Brigley-Thompson and Brendan Walsh. In 2020, we have a new series called Sinister Case Study. Which delves into specific cases of violence, critiquing the responses of institutions and culture to particular events. This month, Zoe Brigley will be talking about the recent court case of sexual violence in Cyprus and the institutional mishandling of the case. Bodies. What meaning do they hold? What power do they wield? What do they signify, and how are some people valued more than others? Are certain groups reduced only to their bodies? Do some people feel entitled to access the bodies of others? All these questions occur to me in reading about the recent case of a British teenager who was gang-raped in Cyprus. The story has drawn international outcry over the way in which the case has been handled. But as often happens with sexual violence, it has become what Tanya Horrock terms a public rape, with the teenager's character, her trustworthiness, her motivations and responses being dragged through the mud on social media. I want to send an unequivocally supportive message to this young woman. You are not alone, not the first person this has happened to but there are many who absolutely support you and believe it is completely unacceptable in 2020 in any time that this should happen to you. You deserve better and many of us all over the world are furious that this keeps happening to you and others like you. Let's take a minute to look at this case from the young woman's point of view. She is on vacation in Cyprus The New York Times reports her saying in the trial that she developed a relationship with a man she met there, perhaps a whirlwind holiday romance. She is at last having sex with this man, and why shouldn't she? There is no shame in desire, in pleasure. Yet, in the middle of this intimacy, other men begin to enter the room. It is reported that up to 12 men entered the room, restrained her and raped her and even filmed what they did. The horror of this event is unimaginable. To be so betrayed by someone she liked, desired, trusted. And just because she consented to sleep with one man does not mean that she consented to sleep with 12 other men. She had over 30 bruises and contusions over her body after the event. But we should not need to have this evidence. No, we should believe women. We should believe all survivors. Now, here is the moment when institutions should step in and support survivors after a traumatic event. But, of course, this does not always happen. What often occurs instead is what Ananya Jahanara Kabir terms the double violation. What that means is that instead of finding support and help from the police and other institutions, another kind of violence is enacted. The violence of disbelief, of inaction, of failure to support the survivor, and above all, a lack of understanding regarding the responses of trauma after an event like this. Everyone responds differently to trauma. And so there is no one right way to act after a violent event. And these responses should certainly not be used against survivors. This is exactly what happened, though, to our teenager in Cyprus. Ten days after the men involved were arrested, the teenager was brought in for eight hours of questioning alone, by the end of which she recanted her original testimony. Why was a traumatised teenager questioned alone for eight hours? It should never have happened to someone experiencing trauma, to a young woman in fact experiencing post-traumatic stress, according to her legal team. In addition, the woman ended up in jail for over a month, something else which should never have happened. It is an acknowledged truth that we do not know the extent of rates of sexual violence, because who would come forward into an atmosphere of disbelief and hostility? We cannot blame survivors if they choose not to, but putting them in prison is a sure way to make it worse. The only reason for pursuing this course of action is the fear of powerful men which is so disproportionate to the amount of false rape accusations that actually happen. What this trial is really about is punishing women and survivors in general for speaking up. Meanwhile, the men accused returned to Israel and have not been called on to appear in court, while rumours abound in the press about the power and privilege of the accused. Ultimately, the teenager was sentenced to creating public mischief and given a suspended sentence. She's returned to Britain. What we might conclude from the whole case is that some bodies have more value than others, and that if we speak up about our bodies being violated, then we ourselves will be put behind bars. And if you think that this problem is confined to Cyprus, you would be absolutely wrong. These injustices occur wherever patriarchal values hold sway, as well as a capitalist system of hierarchies where money and privilege are keys to power, including in North America and other parts of Europe. Part one of the problem is the idea that certain voices are not to be trusted. The voices of survivors are so often framed as hysterical or malicious. The distress and anger is so often discounted. It is no coincidence that it is people with fewer privileges who are targeted with sexual violence more often and who have to fight to have their voices heard by our institutions. It is the voices of women and non-binary people that are not heard, especially voices of black cisgender and trans women, of native women, disabled people, LGBTQ plus people, those who are less economically privileged, those who have immigrant status, those who are young, or those who are elders. In fact, it is always those with least privilege whose voices are most discounted. The wrongness is absolutely obvious, but it happens all over the world. Take, for example, the acquittal of Canadian radio DJ Jiang Gomeshi in 2016 after being charged with sexual assault. The reason for the acquittal was based on the behaviour of witnesses who had accused Gomeshi... The judge in the case suggested that the witnesses were liars and not to be trusted. One woman had commented that she would keep back some facts to make her testimony more convincing to the court. But the fact is that rape cases success in conviction are still based on whether the survivors seem to testify convincingly. It's not enough to be telling the truth. You have to perform it. The second woman's account was discounted because she told the media slightly different details to what she said in court. But it is well known that trauma survivors have difficulty recounting what happened to them in detail. The third woman had sex with Gomeshi after he had been violent with her. But again, trauma makes us behave in peculiar ways. Sometimes we even go into denial. Just like in the Cyprus case, the focus of scrutiny is survivors' actions, survivors' behaviours. And in this case, although 20 people came forward to complain about Gomeshi, he was ultimately acquitted. It is so easy to find reasons to explain away accusations of sexual violence. They tell us that the accuser is a gold digger. They tell us that we are hysterical or mentally ill. They tell us that our accusations are masking regret for engaging in sexual activity, a reasoning that shames a survivor on a number of levels. They tell us that we are only malicious and want revenge. But institutions must stop doing these mental acrobatics to find a reason to undermine testimony. We must stop the culture of disbelief stop the intense and unforgiving scrutiny of survivors and turn that focus instead on the perpetrators.